USC takes control of the South with a big win over South rival uh, Colorado. Utah, back from the dead, they stomp Arizona, and the Duckaroos get off the two-year schneid against Washington. All that and more on this week's Eligible Receivers. He's Eric Amorin. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Well, you work all week on trying to identify who the eligible receivers are. This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. So let's get right into it. On Friday night it was in beautiful Salt Lake City, I'm assuming. Arizona and Utah met up. Uh, and I'll tell you what, a Utah team that had looked rough offensively, certainly, against Washington, against Northern Illinois. Now, I think they've, you know, they scored a good handful of points against WSU. They mauled Stanford last week and scored a ton of points. And here they are scoring a ton of points again, 40 to 42 to 10 winners against Arizona. And, and it wasn't even that close. I mean, Arizona looked hapless in this game. They're down 28 nothing at half. Um, Utah looked good, man. I mean, they, for the first time in a while, it looks like they actually have a plan on offense that, you know, doesn't ask Tyler Huntley to throw the ball all over the place because he can't do that. Um, you know, they sort of go they lead with the run and they let him, you know, move him out of the pocket a little bit and shorter stuff. And he, he looked good. So, um, yeah, Utah, get, you know, gets it going. I'm, I'm happy as a UW fan that we've already played Utah because it looks like that's going to be a tougher, tougher game in Rice Eccles now for the rest of the year than it was earlier in the season. But Yeah, uh, and I'll tell you what, I mean, I would say uh, – Washington's best win by far this year, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, exactly what you're talking about. This is like the Utah plan on offense. This is what they ought to be doing. Uh, they throw the ball 22 times. They run it 46 times, you know? Uh, yeah. and everybody's, they're spreading carries around, including Tyler Huntley, which you don't, you know, you know, that I feel like he's been kind of bottled up. They've been asking him to try and run pro or something like that, but he is really effective on the ground. Uh, Moss really good. Uh, then they let Britton Covey throw a couple balls for trick plays. He connects on both of them, including one for a touchdown. I mean, this is this is what this is like the team, like the Utah team from like the last handful of years, where you're going into October, you're going into November, and they're a factor in the South. Yeah, no, they look like a tough out. They uh, again, they look way better than they did earlier in the year. I agree with that. So um, let's see. Next up, we got. UCLA went to California. UCLA, they look good against Washington, and everybody's trying to figure out is Washington looking ahead to Oregon or did UCLA figure something out? Well, I'll tell you what, that's a greatly improved UCLA team. You know, this is like they're exactly what you want to see a team that's improving over the course of the season. UCLA, 37 to 7 winners. A Cal team that we're talking about a few weeks ago was in the top 25. You know, they uh, lose to. Oregon, they lose to UCLA, they lost to somebody else in there. They lost to Arizona in there. Yeah. Yeah, Arizona. That that all of a sudden Cal's a huge problem. And again, you know, like I've been saying since it started, we gotta question this Brandon McElwain thing at quarterback. Doesn't make much sense, does it? Mm-mm. You think given that we know that they've got Bowers, and then we also know that they've got Garbers, like what what does McElwain have on the coaching staff? <laughs> that enables him to continue to be the go-to guy in these games. I wonder if it's like a situation because 
a longtime admired uh, coach on this podcast, the East from Washington God, Bo Baldwin, uh, is the coordinator down there at Cal. I wonder if he's like McElwain, you know, apparently has like more running ability and he's like thinking what got me on the map to these people was like Vernon Adams. So I need a guy who can run around a little bit. But even like Vernon Adams wasn't even really like a big time like he'd scramble, but really he like ran around to like make insane broken plays, you know, like he then he bomb it, you know, he's like more Russell Wilson and he's scrambling. Yeah. I mean, Vernon Adams problems and he was like five, seven. I mean, if he was, if he was six feet tall, I got to be in the league. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean that you're right. We both have a lot of respect for Bo Baldwin and what he did at Eastern. And, and it's surprising to me to see, him continue to go that well when it doesn't seem like that's going real good. They scored seven points in this game, but you know, he's been around football longer than me. I assume he, he probably knows what he's doing. Maybe, maybe it'll pay off eventually. I mean, so this is like turning into a full flat because this is Cal is having a repeat of last year, except this year it's worse because they've been there longer and where they get out to the hot start and then the wheels come off. But yeah. just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I was, I mean, I'm, I'm might I need to make a point to kind of follow some Cal content and figure out what on earth the thinking is behind this quarterback carousel they have going on. Uh, next up, USC hosted Colorado. Uh, Colorado was undefeated coming into this game, but they hadn't really played anybody. Uh, they play somebody here, a USC team that you know at times looked bad. They lost to a Texas team that, even though Texas jumped up and got Oklahoma, we still you know think that like Texas. I don't know. My impression of Texas is that like they top out around like the 20th best team in the country, maybe 15th or something like that in that range. But like uh, seven right now, aren't they? Well, then I think they're overrated. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they're like, I think they're like, a, I think they're in that like 20 to 40 range or like 15 to 35. I don't think they're like the world's greatest team. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Uh, so like, uh, but then, and then, you know, you know, knives out a little bit for clay Helton there after they dropped a couple games. Uh, but USC takes care of business against Colorado, runs a record all time against Colorado to 13 and now one day the Buffs will win against USC, but it's not to be this year. Colorado's first loss on the year, both teams now with a loss in conference play. LaVisca Chanel got dinged up in this game, which we'll talk about more later, but that's, uh, that's troublesome. Colorado lost Jay McIntyre, uh, to a concussion. He's questionable as well for the upcoming game. And, they lost a D tackle for the year with the Achilles injury. So Colorado definitely came out and, and the stakes were a little higher. The hitting was a little bit more and kind of come out of that game dinged up as well. Yeah. And now for an infuriating football game, Oregon hosts Washington, the game to see if Oregon is back. Uh, really, really close game. Uh, Washington has a field goal at the end of regulation, uh, 37 yarder missed by their freshman kicker. Peyton Henry uh, goes into overtime. Dogs can only manage a field goal despite having first and goal at the six. And Oregon uh, punches it in on like third down from about the same distance. They run a running play when Washington was just looking past. They walk it off. Touchdown. Oregon 30 to 27 winners. Big win for Mario Cristobal. Big win for Oregon. On to Chris Peterson. This one. This is the second time this year that the Huskies have had a big game where they come out. They don't look particularly good. They're the they're the tighter team mentally. They make more mistakes than the other team. The play calling is is worse than the other team. 
And ultimately, you have to wonder if the mismanagement at the end of this game, I mean, basically Washington got down to where it was a 37-yard field goal with 35 seconds left and two timeouts and just stopped. Even though they had a field goal kicker who's, you know, a redshirt freshman walk-on and not particularly reliable, you know, you if you're Washington, you've got two more plays at least that you can run to try and get him some more yardage. They don't do it. Um, just, just absolutely infuriating. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially like, cause like you think like maybe even on, at least on one of those plays, give Ty Jones a shot, you know, or something like, you, you know, and how, how easy is it if you, especially when you have that kind of field in front of you, you know, when you're sitting there on the 20 of the other team, you've, you know, you've got 30 yards of field that the other t- team has to guard and anything is great for you. You know, like if you can get that down towards a exponential percentage increase in makeability, the closer you can get that to just extra point range, you know? So like the next, anything in the next like 10, 15 yards is going to make such a huge difference for you. And it's just bizarre. I mean, I get like, I mean, like if you're thinking like to, to try and make a case for it, which I think is wrong. I agree with you that they should have kept going, like keep trying for one. And then, Two, like what you say is that like this is major college football. It's a thirty-seven yard field goal. Like you couldn't, uh, like it's hard to get a job kicking at like a you know like a four A high school if you can't reliably make a thirty-seven yard field goal. You know, like so there. I mean, there's no way it's not. I mean, it's going to get blocked. You know, they they're going to catch. They're going to get the ball down. The guy's going to have a kick at it. And for a thirty-seven yard field goal for a college kicker is not. You don't. You're you know how like sometimes you're on the tee and you feel like you need something and you try and gas it and you end up like hooking the ball somewhere or something like that because you're swinging too hard, like 37 yard field goal. It's nothing. Yeah. But same thing. I mean, you and I can go out and make four foot putts when we're playing Chambers Bay, you know, and nothing's on the line, but you put, put, you know, a $20 bill next to that putt all of a sudden and you get yippy, right? I mean, it just happens in nature. But if you look at that same exact putt and it's only two feet, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot more manageable all of a sudden. And if you if you make it, it's only one foot. Then it's really manageable. Um, I don't care, man. It was third and one at that point with thirty five seconds with two timeouts. Run another running play. You're getting five or six yards a, a play on the on the ground. Run another running play uh, to the sidelines. Pick up the first down or get out of bounds. Um, you then have. You know, the clock stopped. If, if you don't get out of bounds, the clock stops for the, the – they move the change. So you can run another quick running play uh, again and get another you know another one in. Or if you get out of bounds with the running play, then you can take your time and call another play. I, I don't I don't even say throw it. You know what I mean? Like don't put it in the air because I, I don't trust – I don't trust that Jake Browning is going to give that a real chance, to be honest with you, with Ty Jones. Like, even if he's running to the end zone, I think Browning is going to overthrow him because Browning is a very cautious quarterback. And yeah. he's more concerned with uh, making a mistake than he is with making the big play. And that's kind of always been his bugaboo. Um, and so I, 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 if they had run a pass play to Ty Jones in the end zone, I believe it would have been a 10 yards over his head kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, just because Browning just doesn't have, you know, he mentally just doesn't have that, but the running game was chewing up yards and there were at least two more plays you could have had to run that, run the ball, you know, five to 10 yards closer just give that kid, a, you know, instead of a three and a half foot putt to win it, give him a, a two and a half foot putt to win it, you know, and 
But you didn't do it. I mean, Peterson didn't do it. And the thing is, he came out on Monday and said, oh, I wish I had done that. Um, so he's, you know, for a guy making five million bucks, like you can't, like, can't keep making these mistakes, you know, on the Auburn game, the red, the red zone offense was atrocious. The play calling was terrible. Um, Browning looked tight in that game, you know, in the Oregon game, he played awesome. I mean, absolutely awesome. No, no complaints whatsoever with how he played. And then in the last 35 seconds of the game, you take the ball out of his hands, you know, sit on it. And instead, put your fate in the you know in the hands of a, a redshirt freshman to walk on. And that just doesn't make any sense to me from a Chris Peterson standpoint. I don't understand that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, and uh, we've been complaining about uh, Washington and big games and big atmospheres. And I want to uh, make the complaint also more general, uh, comparing us to the 2016 team, which is the best team of the Chris Peterson era. Uh, the what what I'm kind of bemoaning in the last two editions of Washington football is I've, that 16 team when it was still like a Zeems defense, you know? Yeah. Uh, like they were out there to kill, you know? And like, and they were having fun doing it. Yeah. And they, yeah. And they were having so much fun. They were, they were ready to play. And so I was like, kind of like, I was honestly looking around on, uh, Instagram before the week, you know, and on like Twitter to try and find one of our players who seemed outwardly excited. And I'm sure they're under instructions not to no social media about the game or anything like that, or just something. But I would like to see, uh, some indicia from the players at some point that they're, uh, you know, into it, you know what I mean? Cause I feel like now we're the kind of team that like, we we still win most of our games. It's still a very good Washington football team, and what a hilarious thing to complain about. Again, 10 years ago, we didn't win a single game, uh, and this is a team that still has every chance in the world of having double-digit wins uh, and, you know, less than maybe 10 of those teams all-time at Washington, maybe. Yeah. You know? Uh, but still, it's just like everything just seems so fun. I mean, it seems like the sort of team that, like, w- like wants to lose and then, like, you know, talk about how people jumped off the bandwagon or something like that, rather than like the guys who were talking about death row. Yeah, I agree with that. It does, there's certainly been a, uh, there seems to be a lack of fun element to the games. And I think part of that is sort of the playoff discussion coming into the year, knowing that, you know, you're going to be in the playoff discussion. Everyone's picking you to be in the playoff discussion, but everyone thinks that the PAC 12 down. Also, I think, I think all of that sort of, adds an element of pressure to the team and they've carried that with them. They don't, they don't have to worry about it anymore, but um, they, you know, they carry that with them and it just, yeah, it's just, it's been a weird, you know, it's been a weird vibe. I, I hope now that they, you know, that they, they take the pressure off a little bit and, you know, let some steam off and, and open things up and have some fun because when they, when they do that, they're like an amazingly talented team that should win every game that they have left on their schedule. Yep. I agree with that. Uh, the other thing I want to say about this is that uh, I remember uh, while we were uh, in the midst of the 12-year losing streak to Oregon, right? And I remember one particular year, one of the million times we'd go in there thinking like, well, if everything breaks right, maybe we have a shot in this game and then we just get killed by them, right? Yeah. And like well, I, how devastated I used to get over those games. You know what I mean? I'd be like, Jesus Christ. Like it would ruin me for – at least a week I would be like, like seriously upset in like my honest to God, real life. Yeah. And, uh, I remember at one point saying something like, like, 
God damn it, I gotta get my act together. I gotta get something going on personally, so like this, this isn't like something I'm relying on for my happiness. And yeah. I have to say, I missed most of this game because I was coaching my daughter's soccer team. I didn't really see a ton of it. Uh, and like, uh, what's great, what's good about this kind of like middle window of your life when you have children is that like you you don't have the time to be that upset about college football anymore. Now there is a um, gaping maw of time you know, 15 years down the road, once the kids are in college, you know, and they're not going to want to like hang out and do stuff every weekend where I plan to become 10 times as furious about any college football result as I ever was when I was a kid. But for right now, not that bad. I got things to do. Yeah, I agree with that. I was, I was upset at the time, but I was, I was still interacting on Twitter and, you know, as, as they're want to do WSU fans descended on any, any UW fan on Twitter. And we're like, giving me a bunch of crap. And one of them was like, you don't remember 12 in a row, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I remember that. I lived through it. Yeah. That, you know, I remember, it really yeah, yeah. away <laughs> once you sort of just acknowledge that it happened. They, they, he didn't really have anything else to say to me at that point. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. I, I certainly lived through it. Yeah. Um, I didn't you know. like it. And that's the other thing is that like, uh, going to take a lot to hurt me more than, uh, a one, uh, you know, like kind of close loss at Oregon. Now, yeah, if well, there if there were eleven had preceded it, I'd be a little what, bit more upset. What what got me in trouble with the Coug fans was that the Coug Center Twitter feed um, uh, tweeted to UW, "How hard is it to beat them three times in a row, guys?" Because I, I guess I gather they beat Oregon three times in a row. Uh, to which I had to point out, I just couldn't help myself. I had to point out that in the history of the University of Washington versus Washington State rivalry. They have never beat the University of Washington three times in a row. Yeah, that, so, how do you how do you say that? I can't yeah. believe. Thank I mean, you like, for doing that. That's like yeah. one of the most uh, egregious stats. It's yeah. it's impossible it's, that that has it's never impossible happened. Possible that that's never happened, and yet it's true. They've never beat the University of Washington three times in a row in over a hundred years of playing. Oh um, my word! And so you know, I had to say something, and then so of course I got the I got the uh, the WSU folks coming down on me that's fine it was fine i yeah. I, 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 I like genuinely wasn't upset when i was when i was interacting with them they, 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 i i sort of took joy in the fact that i was like i bet they think that i'm you know despondent over this and and while i was mad i wasn't like the end of the world mad <laughs> yeah i was like yeah dude it's like what can you do i mean wcu like what you know uh, you know, again, during that Oregon losing streak, I, you know, uh, uh, you know, you have to sit there and be like, well, I don't play on the team. So really this doesn't like, yeah, this doesn't say anything about me. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I yeah. like what I like, but this is not like really reflective. This is that you cast no judgment upon me. What happened during this game, but uh, even less so when it's a fan of a team that's not even involved in the game. Yeah. I was I'd say saying. I'm so coog positive. I I I like to see them fired up. Uh, I'm happy they got game day this week. Uh, everybody knows I root for the Cougs in every game but one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. We'll talk about that game in a minute too. righty. So how did we do on picks last week? We did mediocre. I went two and two. Uh, taking UCLA over uh, Cal was what what bailed me out there. Um, and you and uh, Dirty Worm, friend of the podcast, both went one and three. You've got the Utah game correct. Worm rode Arizona to his demise. And then you and I both took the bus, which was ill-advised, and Worm came back with USC. So for his only one of the week. So one and three for you guys, two and two for me. 
Worm and I are now tied at 35-18-1, and, and you are right there at 31-22-1. Four games adrift, dude. I did, we got, yeah. a, we got a, a bigger slate of conference games this week. Yeah. Looking to get things back on track. Hopefully I get to watch some of these. And we'll start uh, Thursday night. No, no kids soccer this week. Excited about that. I might be able to watch the Colorado game. However, my Coug father-in-law is coming over and for the weekend, and that is an excuse to weekend golf, which is a rare treat for me. He's not going to the game? To the No, he's coming over here, dude. Oh, for game day, I would think he'd want to be there. What's he gonna do? You know, I mean, like this. This is a guy. You know, he'll 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 enjoy an adult beverage, but like, I feel like that's a young man's game to be there at like, you know, six in the morning when that thing starts and well, take it all the way through. I mean, just like go at like eight o'clock and wander around for an hour. But yeah, I, I hear. It. I mean, plus he's like he's an old guy. He's probably up at six in the morning anyways, right? Like. He he sleeps pretty good for an old guy, which is to yeah. say he'll he'll go to about. Seven forty-five, eight. I I I can't sleep past six a.m. I, and I I mean I, that's how I know I'm getting old. Is that like I'm just up at these times? Like yeah, really. I've I've definitely the kids have definitely changed my uh, routine. I do not sleep in too much anymore, but I can go if left undisturbed till a little before eight on a weekend. Uh, but the thing, the big change I've noticed is that uh, when I'm just sitting around the house, like in the evening or at night. I can just fall asleep in a chair, which is something I didn't used to have in my bed. Oh, yeah, I've got that not cold for yeah. sure. I was, I was, I was like, Ooh, this is, this is an interesting development. I'm, yeah. I'm aging. All right. Yeah. So Thursday night, Arizona state, the fighting Herm Edwards are hosting the Stanford Cardinal. Both of these teams coming off buys, uh, Stanford are two and a half point favorites. Stanford on the road in the desert where dreams go to die. Uh, coming off an embarrassing loss to Utah the last time they were out. I'll tell you what. And we got a home dog against the Arizona State team that has looked, you know, alternately bad and sometimes frisky. Yeah, it looks interesting. Uh, sometimes, sometimes looks pretty terrible, but other times looks kind of interesting. Yeah. I'll take Arizona State in this game. I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm... I'm... I'm hedging here, but I, I can see that. You know, Benjamin, I mean, they've got that. I mean, I'm, I'm curious if Nikhil Harry's all better. I, saw, I assume he is because they, the, they had the bye. He was injured in their last game. Um, that would certainly make things different. Um, Stanford, oh, gosh, it's just – I think I think I'm going to have to take Stanford. I think they're going to they're gonna do the – they're going to push – you know, try and push the sun back up in the sky on their season here. They have it's desperation time for Stanford, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take them. Yeah, I mean, and Stanford still is only sitting on one conference loss. They're still in the mix now. They have the win over Oregon. Yeah, they so, they control their own destiny in the North, right? I believe so. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, because their loss is to a Pac-12 South team. That's a, that's the way to lose. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have California going to Oregon State on this day, where Cal who have looked listless are touchdown favorites on the road against an Oregon state team that, you know, they put up some points against WSU. They're coming off a bye. They're at home. I leaves me all day, man. This cow team looks terrible. And the beeves got Jamar Jefferson, whom I love. Beeves. Here come the California bears. (laughs) I'm going to take Cal in this game. All right. I like it. 
I think OSU is saving it up for uh, to lose by 10 points in a surprisingly close civil war. Yeah, they might be. Uh, next, let's do, I mean, game day, the game of the week, right? Oregon, ranked Oregon, 12th in the land, goes to Washington State, where the Cougs are rightfully field goal favorites. Maybe. I don't know. Here's the deal, dude. That was from what, for I, I don't know to what extent this is true, but my impression from the points of the game that I watched were that very frequently players were being carted off the fields in the Washington Oregon game. You know what I mean? Like that was a bloodbath. Yeah, that, I mean that, the other thing too is that like at least two of Oregon's scores were spectacular plays. Um, particularly their last touchdown was a throw in the end zone where. Like, Herbert was on the run. He threw running full speed with two guys closing on him. The receiver made a diving catch, got his foot down by a quarter of an inch. I mean, I actually told my wife after that happened, I'm like, if that's how hard it is for them to score, like, we're going to be okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, with, I'm with it. I'll, I'll take the Cougs in this. I, I'm, I'm excited for them to get game day. Um, and, the, you know, they've been they, – they really wanted game day. Yeah. I mean – there is there really is a bad. there is a hostile atmosphere, and then there's Pullman, Washington, where the fans have been drinking since six in the morning for, for like game an day. afternoon start. For game day, yeah. This is going to be a drunk stadium. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be rough. Um, I, I, I'm with you though. I think Oregon is going to have a hard time with the the emotional bounce back. You know of that home game. This is where their season – I mean, I think four of their last six games are on the road. This is where it gets real for them. Um, and they they did lose Penny Sewell, their uh, starting left tackle, to a high ankle sprain. Um, and, you know, WSU coming off a bye. They're, you know, I think they're going to play a much more aggressive brand of defense that you, than UW does, which will probably lead to some big plays for Oregon but may also lead to some turnovers. So let's, let's see those Cougarinos do it. Let's see it. I'm ex- I'm excited to watch it. You know, as I you know the other thing about being a, a Coug appreciator is you know that like WSU is what a more fun team to watch play a game because you don't care what happens and they're nuts, dude. Leech is nuts, and they're just more fun generally. Like they, I mean, I, I mean, I hesitate to be too negative towards Peterson because he has like really turned our program around. Yeah. But, so I'll put it in the context of watching Alabama and Saban. And just what a soulless, joyless process that is for yeah. him to grind people into the ground. He just hates it. I mean, he doesn't look like he has any fun. And he yells at everybody. He's yelling at the students now because he's not pleased with them being there on time or whatever. I don't know. Um, yeah. you know, while they play Louisiana Lafayette, he thinks that more of them should come to that bullshit. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, come on, man. Like, it's just I don't even know how much fun – I mean, of course, it's always fun to win, and Alabama always wins by a lot, so they don't even aren't even nervous really. But I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's not that much fun. Like whereas the Cougs, like they seem to be having fun with it. Like they're they're winging the ball all over the lot. Their coach is kind of an idiot and says a lot of dumb stuff, but it's funny in some contexts. Um, you know, they're pulling you know grad transfers from wherever they can to try and stay competitive, and then you know they find a guy like Gardner Minshew, and he's great. Like they seem to be the way that like I'm, I'm into the way that they're kind of like running their program, even if I don't think they're ever going to be able to be a like conference championship, you know, slash playoff contender. 
Yeah. Um, it's still like a hell of a lot of fun to watch and like how they go about their business. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, so that, that, that's going to be a fun one to watch. That's going to be a fun little football game. Uh, next up we got you taking the Cougarinos there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm taking the Cougs, dude. I'm going to be up at, uh, six anyway. Right. Because, uh, soccer's back from international break. Uh, so we got, uh, I've adopted uh, Roma as my Serie A team, and they are playing at six, and then Everton at eight, and then I'll get some golf in at some point in there. But you know I'm going to be watching at 5.59 on ESPN to see the lights come up um, in Pullman and figure out well, like where on earth – I'm not super familiar with their campus, you know, to like where they're going to put the game day set, but I want to see it. Yeah. I want to see about a million uh, Cougar flags, people like chugging fireball for the camera, uh, I saw on Sports Center last night, uh, which uh, I don't know. Have you watched Sports Center in a while? The Scott Van Pelt Sports Centers are excellent. I have not. Uh, fall in love with it again for the first time. Uh, Scott Van Pelt runs a nice little uh, Sports Center, uh, but he was doing an on-air plea for somebody to find ESPN that popcorn guy. You know, yes, because they were like, Game Day wants to do a feature on you. Somebody knows this guy. Get in touch with me. Yeah. Yeah, they should. That's a great. Yeah. That's a great call. Yeah. So, like, dude, it's gonna be live. Are you kidding me? Oh yeah, I I believe you. I'm not. I'm not questioning that. I can't because I remember how great it was when we finally had game day for the first time, and you turn on that TV at six in the morning, and it's red square, and it's just lit up, and they're talking about you know you hear the the you know the the crews like this is one of the all time atmospheres. You know, Washington State is gonna be it's gonna be on. I'm I'm excited for him. Big big day for Washington State. Yeah, I'm all uh, for it. USC and Utah. No line in this game. How can this be? I don't know. There's no line. Here's what the ESPN Pick Center likes in this game. Utah between eight and ten. Utah in minus eight? They're saying that's what the advanced metrics say is going to go down in this game, and I have to say, I concur. I, I think Utah's uh, – I think USC is ready to go to Rice-Eccles and lose. Maybe. I don't know. I have to see it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely I, – I, as much as I like Utah, which isn't very much, but, I mean, I'll, I enjoy watching them, um, they just seem like they struggle with – legit Pac-12 caliber opponents. And USC may not be, I got the best coaching in the world, but they are certainly from an athlete's perspective going to dominate Utah. And their USC's defense is good. I don't think that they're going to have any trouble shutting down Utah's running game, and they're just going to force Huntley to try and beat him with his arm. So I think we're going to get sad Utah offense back. So I'm going with the, I'm going with the Trojans. I like it. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's fine. Anything could happen. Utah for me, the last two weeks is, a, is the hot hand in the conference. And so I, I like them at home against the USC team that has been underwhelming. I, I feel that. All right. right. It's a tough place to play. UCLA at home. They're hosting Arizona. UCLA improving right before our eyes. Arizona has been uh, down to uh, terribly down this year. Uh, and what's the health status of Khalil Tate? Doesn't sound like he's going to play. Well, I'll tell you who I like in this game then. Yeah. Is UCLA at home. 
Chip Kelly, I think, is, is starting to turn the corner there. They, they've looked better in the last couple of weeks progressively. Arizona is feckless and in big trouble, I think, in this game. Yep, I, I agree with that. And that brings us to our final game, the uh, a real classic luster loser. You wonder where, if Colorado found a way to beat USC and Washington made that kick against Oregon and won, uh, was this our game day? <laughs> you know, were we going to get the game day as, like, a one loss Washington against undefeated Colorado. Yeah, it's a good, that's a good point. But instead you got two teams who, uh, you know, the gods have taken them both and knocked them down several pegs in terms of what people think of them. Uh, and so what you still have is one of the marquee PAC 12 games, you know, uh, two teams that here we are at the middle late October that are very much in the picture in terms of their conference races. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, these that are very dinged up. Yeah. So talk, talk to me because again, because I was kind of out and about and then I, I, frankly, I got a little too tired because that Colorado game wasn't close enough for my taste. And I, I think there was a fight on ESPN or something that Terrence Crawford fight. And I was like, oh, I'll watch boxing. Uh, <laughs> cause the, cause the Colorado game wasn't close. Talk to me about LaVisca Chenault being injured. Yeah, he hurt his toe or his foot or something. He's day to day. I mean, it it had to happen, man. They they just ride that guy way too much. I mean, not I mean, I don't know, too much is the right term, but a lot. Um, and USC getting their hits in on him, he's gonna get hurt. Um, so it looks like he's got a like a, a busted toe or a busted foot or something. You know, McIntyre says he's day to day. Jay McIntyre, coach's son, who's a starting receiver, got knocked out in this game. Um, like one of those fully out of, you know, unconscious on the field kind of things. Um, and they, you know, they lost the D tackle Washington's got no miles Gaskin. It looks like, looks like maybe Savant Ahmed might be gone, might be out. Um, so they'd be, they'd be rocking the Kamari pleasant, uh, Sean McGrew backfield, which to be honest, doesn't, doesn't seem that bad. Um, I was loving Sean McGrew, dude. It looked like it didn't make a lick of sense how he'd like get the ball and run around sideways like five yards behind the line of scrimmage, but I'll be damned if it worked. Yeah. I, I, I did not understand. It was the craziest thing. I was saying in the chat that he looked at, I don't know. Do you remember Super Mario Brothers 2? Vaguely. Vaguely. Well, here's the deal. It's like you could play with Mario or you could play with Luigi. And Luigi's deal was that he uh, could like jump higher than Mario, right? But mm-hmm. what you traded was that Mario could cut on a dime. Luigi would kind of like run in one direction. And when you wanted to turn him, he would still slide a little bit the way he was going before he could get turned around. And that's yeah. what reminded me of Sean McGrew. He's like, he's, uh, he, he kind of like has, uh, wheels that don't fully have the grip of the pavement, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which is weird because he's so small. You'd think he'd be a good cutter. Yeah. He's just kind of, you know, he's just kind of spaghetti legs. He's just going around back there. He's fun to watch. It's like, He's like uh, watching the old black and white football, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, we all pick Washington in this game. I mean, I, li- I like Washington in this. Uh, the one thing about Washington not getting up for big games is that there is also a list of teams that are decent that Washington does not respect. And uh, they include the two latest entrants into our fine conference, uh, Colorado and Utah. Well, and this is like the perfect kind of like joyless – both these teams are are down. This is exactly the kind of atmosphere that a Chris Peterson team excels in. They're yeah. a little, they're better than this team, and nobody's having any fun. Like watching, <laughs> they're very, yeah. There's no, there's no dreaming 
regarding this game. You know, like nobody's like thinking about there's no there's no outside pressure. It's just merely these two teams whose horizons have been significantly reduced are going to get together and slog through it. And that's just a a disaster waiting to happen for Colorado because that's like Washington's perfect scenario. Yep. Yep. I agree with that. All right. Uh, That does it for this week's episode of Eligible Receivers. Thank you for listening, everybody. For Eric, I'm Warren. We will see you next week. Baby, I'm not baby.